progress play on the inside inside sales show powered by the sales iq network my name is daryl prale i'm your host and you my friend well you and i we're going on a journey every single week talking to the industry's most accomplished sales legends as they share with us their tips their tricks their techniques and their tactics to become sales rock stars you simply need to do what they're doing and you will achieve similar nirvana if you like to laugh you like to be entertained if you like to go off on tangents and tell stories you're going to love what you're going to hear next sit back relax it's going to get real How's everybody doing today, friends? It is so good to have you back. Oh, I was just I was talking to our guests in the green room, right? We talk about the green room in the podcast. Like, I just love the idea that we have this concept that come, carries over from television called the green room. And yet, secretly, as we record these things, he's staring me in the face right now, staring me down, being quiet, being polite, waiting for me to ramble nonstop to you. Oh, and you guys... Okay, I, I like to ask this occasionally, how many of you just do the auto jump? Like, go ahead a minute, a minute, a minute, until you get past my ramble and actually get into the core of it. It's okay. You can tell me. I'm okay with that if you're so inclined. So this is where we wait a second. Okay, if you're still here, all those people that jumped ahead, weren't they morons? They're missing the best part. All right, I'm having fun with you. I just got off the train. I ran from the train. I was in Toronto and now I'm here producing this show. And you know, it's, it's funny. We talk about how do we navigate the podcast? We talk about me being on a train and then hopping out here. Life is full of journeys, brothers and sisters. It's journeys, journeys, journeys. But have you ever sat back and thought about the journeys that you, you take, right? So I'll ask you a simple question. How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you buy? All right. So there's different ways I buy. I'll start with that. And maybe you can relate. So as many of you know, once upon a time, I was a chess player. Now I'm just a pretender, but you get some bad habits when you start playing a game like that, which is I was a chess player and I was a coder. So I got that one, two negative punch everything I do. I'm very analytical about. It's all about logic. And so whenever I'm buying something, I will spend like hours researching stuff, right? Even if I'm buying used, I'm buying on a Craigslist or something, you know, and I see a good price. I kind of know what I'm looking for. I don't necessarily know a brand. Then I find the right price because price is my driving factor all the time. I'm cheap. Then I go backwards and say, does this brand that I found at a good price have the features and functions and reviews and capabilities that I needed to have? So I do a very analytical approach. And then what I might do is I might go, if I, if, I, if I like the price and I like the functionality, then I go to the reviews and I go for, is, is there validation there from the communities? So I don't know the people who are giving reviews. I have to put on my little filter that says there's going to be whiners and complainers and outliers. So disregard that. But is the general sentiment good or is the general sentiment bad? And I do that because who wants to spend money and then feel like they got duped? Nobody does. Nobody likes feeling like they they thought they were getting one thing and they got much less than that, or it it overpromised and it underdelivered. You feel like a heel. You feel like a moron. You feel like you're just inept. You should know better. And I don't know about you. I've done that more than once, and I don't like it. And it's weird. It gets to the point that I don't tend to rave to my wife about the deals I get once I realize that what I bought 
was less than high value. I don't talk about it. But then if somebody else is looking at a similar product, I will share my story about how that was not a good brand or a good purchase. And this is why. So I add to the noise and somebody else can take my opinion and that influences how they buy. So that's my journey. But another journey kind of segueing to what I ended up on is I get a word of mouth referral from a friend who says, oh, you're looking for this. I did the research. I bought one six months ago. And here's what I learned. I ended up buying this. And this is what I like. And here's what I know. And here's what I do differently. How much you pay for that? Blah, blah, blah. And I trust the friend. So if they got, you know, good vibes out of it, then I tend to just, I tend to go that road. And what's interesting about me, and I don't think I'm abnormal, is that I'm actually willing to pay more money for something knowingly, even though I'm cheap. Remember, and I, I emphatically am frugal. I am willing to pay more money for something if I have a higher level of confidence that it will deliver to me what I want or last longer or deliver a greater experience or a greater return on my investment. So price is not always my number one driver, despite me opening and describing myself as tight with my money. I've used three different ways. I said frugal, cheap, and tight with my money. You can come up with other adjectives, share them with me in social media. I'd love to hear them. Where does all this go? Well, I'm glad you asked. All this goes to how people buy. What are the typical journeys people experience? And what is the role that value, because I've talked about this multiple times in my narrative, play in that journey? Why should you care? Well, you should care because if you don't know all the different ways people buy, you will likely default, without even necessarily knowing this, to assuming that people buy the same way you buy. And if you have that bias built in, then that means you're going to sell. You're going to approach the prospect with that bias. And you could be losing out on deals because you don't understand how they measure value. Value isn't always money. Value could be lots of different ways. So the whole point is, if you're going to be a rock star salesperson, you need to understand value. You need to understand the journey. And you need to figure that out really damn fast. Are you in sales, but you're not using a sales engagement tool? Then you're probably losing out on revenue because you are not engaging with prospects at the right time, with the right cadence, and with enough persistency. You need VanillaSoft. Go to VanillaSoft.com. So I says to myself, who's the best expert around at selling value? And of course, as you and I both know, often that's not a salesperson. And there's the irony. And uh, my boys, my girls, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, Mark, I'm going to get the last name wrong because I was blanking. I got into my story. I'm going to say Stiving, and if I get it wrong, he's going to correct me. All right, I'm going to say it's Mark Stiving has come out with a brand new book. And okay, it's a cryptic title. You ready? It's called Selling Value. Selling Value, How to Win More Deals at Higher Prices. And you're saying, but Daryl, you told me he wasn't a sales expert. You hear he comes out with a book on selling value to win more deals at higher prices. How can that be? Because, my friends, not only is he a PhD, he's a pricing expert. So he understands the semantics. He understands the nuances. And more than anything, he understands selling value 
and the journeys you go on. Mark, how are you doing today, my friend? I am doing fabulous, Daryl. Thank you for the fabulous introduction. And I just want to point out that whenever I'm teaching in Silicon Valley, I always say the following words, which you should listen to carefully. You are not normal. There you go. <laughs> now, and you, but you say that to entire rooms of people. So you've just said that everybody's not normal. That is true. That's the whole point, Daryl. What are you, slow? I understand. <laughs> and it's true though, right? It's true. We're Everybody's unique and different, but we have to understand we bring our biases in. Folks, I want to circle back. So the book is great. Check it out. It's You can get it on Amazon. You can go to Mark's website. You can get it there. Mark's got a couple of different places you can go. One is impactpricing.com. The other is Mark Stivey, Mark with a K, not as my cousin Mark likes to say, which is C for cute and cuddly. It's Mark with a K, Stivey, S-T-I-V-I-N-G.com. So either one of those, you can you can find your way to the book and learn more about Mark. Follow him on social media. He's on all the usual places, especially LinkedIn. But Mark, we're going to talk about chapter six today specifically, because we were debating, guys. You know, where, where do we start? It's such a broad topic. And so we were bonding over chapter six and it's called typical value journey. So I'm going to set the stage. I'm going to read this, the first paragraph in chapter six, and then we're going to let sit back and Mark and I are going to have some fun. So here's the first paragraph. It's very fast. It says, buyers may take many different routes through the value journey map toward making a purchase decision, which is just what we talked about a minute ago. However, three of these journeys provide insight into the buyer's price sensitivity and the types of activities marketing and sales should drive. By identifying which value journey your buyer is on, you're going to gain insight into the kind of information that buyer needs and how important price is in the decision. And what did I say to you? I said, I'm cheap. Price is important, but I will also pay more if I perceive value in other ways. So I don't think, as we know now that I am not normal, but I don't think I am too abnormal in that statement. So that's the, uh, that's the I've set you up, Mark. Let's talk about those three different ways. Which, which one do you want to start off on first? So it's beautiful. But before we jump into a journey, we actually actually have to set the stage a little bit more in that the first statement I'll make, and you could tell me all your listeners already understand this and believe this, and that is people trade money for value. I'm not buying anything if I don't think I get more value than it's costing me in dollars out of my wallet. Is that a fair statement? And does everybody understand that? I would think that's a very fair statement. I know every marketer out there is probably giving you applause right now. I, I'm trying to see if there's a, a scenario where I might disagree with you, but nothing's coming to mind. Beautiful. So the next premise that I'll make is that almost nobody understands what value means to their customers. And I gotta tell you, this is what shocks the heck out of me. As a pricing expert, I'm always trying to do value-based pricing and understand how people perceive value. And yet I'll talk to salespeople, marketing people, anyone inside a company, and they so rarely know what does value mean to their customer. And that's what I find fascinating about this whole topic and why I wrote the book in the first place. So, so we're going to get to the point where can we start to understand 
How is it that our buyers are really thinking about value? Next step, buyers almost always make two different decisions when they buy something. The first decision they make is, I call it a will I decision. So will I buy something in this product category? Do I need a new guitar? Do I need a new car? Do I need a new CRM, right? Am I gonna go buy something in the product category? Typically, in most situations, after they've said, yes, I'm gonna go buy something, then they move on and say, okay, which one am I gonna go buy? And now I'm looking at you versus your competitor, and I'm trying to make a decision on where am I gonna get the best bang for the buck? Where do I get the most return for what I'm gonna spend? Those were two different decisions, and those were two very different ways that customers perceive value. When customers are making a will I decision, am I gonna buy a new car? What they're thinking about is, what's the value of solving the problem that I have? So my car just broke down, I don't have a way to get to work, I better go buy a new car, right? What's the value of that? It's huge. My favorite example of will I and which one is having air, or is air. How much do you value having air to breathe? I'm guessing a lot. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, that's high on the list for me. <laughs> right, right, right. And so from a will I decision, your value is infinite, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. From a which one perspective, I just caught some fresh Reno air, how much are you willing to pay for it? <laughs> I got some fresh Ottawa air here, it's a hell of a lot cheaper, it's right in front of me, there's no transportation right. costs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're not willing to pay for it, and the reason is you have all the free air you want around you. So air is either worth everything you have, or absolutely nothing, depending on if you're making a will I decision, or a which one decision. Now, now this is absolutely critical to us to, to yeah. us thinking about sales and buyers journeys. Go ahead. No, I'm 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 loving where you're going with this, right? I mean, folks, did you just catch what he just did? He just got me to admit that air is the like, the most essential thing. I value that immensely, but I, but in the next breath, I didn't value it enough to pay for his freshly captured Reno air to be you know drop shipped into me here. It's, it's so huge. And it's funny because, you know, that's a journey, right? It, it's almost, I mean, I don't know if I want to make it a comparison between, is that the difference between sales and marketing? You know, marketing's out there saying, how badly do you need the air? You know, I'm going to convince you, you really need air. Okay, fine. I need air. And then sales comes in and it's competitive cycle. And do I want Mark's air or do I want Daryl's air? Well, Mark's air costs money because it's a Reno. Daryl's air is right here. I, I'm going to take Daryl's air, right? So now it's an objection. Sales has got to overcome that. Maybe Mark's Air is a designer Air product, where Daryl's is just off-the-shelf plain old vanilla Air, right? And maybe there's health properties, you know, associated with that Reno Air that might benefit me somehow. Suddenly, I'm willing to pay it. I love that analogy because you get so many extremes in that. So, but it's a journey, right? It's a journey. It's a, basically it's a two-step process. You just took us through. We we yeah. we agreed, finally we wanted it. We were open to it. We thought we wanted it. Will I? Then we said, yes, I will. So there was a, a an inflection point where we committed. Then there was, okay, what's the next step? Is it your air or somebody else's air? And there was another decision. People, are you familiar with all those different inflection points in your sales process? Did I mention the book's called Selling Value? You can multitask and go look it up. I'll let you. All right, okay. carry on, my friend. 
<laughs> so, so one of the most important questions that we're going to ask is, how does a buyer go from saying, am I going to buy something in this product category to which one am I going to buy and actually buying? And so if we think about the two by two matrix, we call it the value journey map. On the bottom, on the left, we have the will I decision. People are going to make a will I decision. Do I need this? Am I going to buy this? Is this a place where I should spend my money to go solve these problems? After someone said yes to that, they often then go to the right-hand half of the journey to say, okay, which one am I going to go buy? And now we're looking at competitive alternatives. The other part of the value journey map, the y-axis, the top of it is without salespeople involvement. And in most cases, people realize they have a problem without salespeople asking them, hey, do you have this problem? Or convincing them that they have a problem. And eventually they go from, hey, I've got this problem, I need to go solve it, to saying, I'm going to ask a salesperson. I'm going to talk to a salesperson. These are the four different quadrants that we have then that, that people are going to move through. And if we think about what's probably the single most common journey that someone takes is they start in the top left, which is where they say, I have a problem, but they haven't talked to a salesperson yet. Then they go on the internet and they start researching all the different alternatives. Whose am I gonna buy? In fact, think about buying a car. This is just a great example for us as consumers. We're gonna go online and we're gonna do as much shopping as we possibly can because the last thing we wanna do is go talk to a salesperson. Right? We don't yes. want a salesperson trying to convince us that we want something that we don't want. I'd rather do all that research up front. And then eventually, in order to buy the car, I go talk to a salesperson. So then I move, get some salespeople involved in the process. Now, this is probably the most common of all the journeys. It's also the journey where people are the most price sensitive because they've done all this work. They're really trying to compare feature to feature and, and is yours better than mine? And, and so that's, it's a tough one for us to deal with. And it's probably the hardest one for us as salespeople to be really effective at. However, if you want to be really effective at that, there's two things you're going to do. One thing is clearly understand your differentiation. How are you different from your competitors? And what's the value of that differentiation? What problems do you solve that your competitors don't solve because of that differentiation? And then the other thing that you could do and should do is go back to the will I decision and help people figure out, are you really making a good decision? And in the act of doing that, you might build some decent trust or relationship with that client, which might give you a slight competitive advantage. So let me kind of recap a little bit. I'll give you a visual here of the two by two. So it's two columns by two rows. For those of you listening on the audio version of the podcast, the left column is will I, the right column is which one? The top row is without sales help. The bottom row was with sales help. So what Mark's saying here is we start off from the top left in this journey. This is what he calls the analytical journey. And he says, you know, will I come to this realization that I want a new car without sales help? And the answer is yes. Then you shift to the which one. So I'm moving from the left column to the right column, but I'm still don't want sales help. So now I'm analyzing which one I want. 
And then from there, I shift down to the bottom right quadrant, which is which one with sales help, which he calls the bake-off, which is really, okay, I'm going to nail whoever probably gives you the best price. And what I love is in the, as you, as he goes down in the book, he explores it a lot more, but he makes a comment here. He goes, individual contributors or mid-level managers will typically drive the analytical journey. They don't want to be wrong and they want to be well-informed about the technical details to answer any questions a higher up may have. So that's a huge takeaway. And it's very true because they're expecting to get hammered by the higher ups and say, why this, why this recommendation, defend it, you know, help sell me on it all over again. So they want to have all the answers. Excellent. Excellent. And so let's do the next journey. Is that okay? Let's do it. Next journey is called the relationship journey. Ooh. All right. I know. I almost want to give, I want to give Mark a hug right now. No, I know. But it's not even as good as the last journey, but let's not, let's not jump there yet. Let's do the relationship do journey. And, and so right. we'll go back to the, we'll go back to the car example for a second. And your car just broke down. You have to buy a new car. You happen to have, you know, somebody who, a good friend of yours who works in the car industry. And he says, you really should go take a look at the Lexus over here at this Lexus dealer. Go talk to John. He's a great guy. He's going to fix you up. It's just, it's the car you need. And so instead of spending a bunch of time on the internet and researching a bunch of cars, you just go to the Lexus dealer and talk to John. And you're having this conversation with John. He's, uh, he's helping you understand why you need a new car, what kind of car, what kind of problems you need to go solve. And eventually you've, you've fallen in love with John. I mean, he's this great guy. He's done a fantastic job helping you a lot. But you can't just buy without looking at somebody else. And so you say, John, thank you so much. I appreciate the help. I need to go look at some other alternatives. And so maybe you go to an Acura dealer or maybe you go to a Mercedes dealer. But in the end, you're probably coming back to John because he helped you so much from the beginning, helping you with the decision process. And so, Daryl, I'll let you explain that on the two by two matrix but, but that's the gist of the story. So this, I and mean, there's lots of ways I want to go with this one, but I'm also, I don't want to give too much away because the next journey is going to be even more interesting. So I don't want to overlap a little bit, but here we go. For those of you who are on the audio only version, again, that two by two grid, the, uh, the left column is will I, the right column is which one? The top row is without sales help. The bottom row is with sales help. Now remember, on the analytical journey, we went from the top left quadrant over to the top right quadrant and down to the bottom right, which was the bake-off. On this one, it's a completely different journey. We go from the top left quadrant, will I realize that I need to buy a new car without sales help? Yes, I will. Then I go to the bottom left quadrant, complete opposite of where I was on the other journey, and that is, will I get sales involved? And the answer is yes, because I think they have, you know, something to help me out with. An example that Mark just gave was, you know, you know, a buddy and they're a car expert or they're a car salesperson or whomever. And then you go to them right away. And then from that, then you go over to the bake-off. And in John's example, it's even in the bake-off, all things being equal, who are you going to buy from? The person you have the best relationship with. Why? Well, because you trust them a little bit. I want to use that word carefully because of our next journey. All right. So for those of you who are selling, what is this? And this said another way this is a referral boys and girls. This is where somebody says, you really need to go talk to my buddy because they're in the market for this and they could, you know, what we talked about, they could really use. So you're getting that trusted referral and introduction to the account. 
which already starts your relationship off on a dramatically different point of view than if you were to cold call them. So that's why you ask for the referral. So I'm trying to think what I wanted to steal from this one. This one, you're saying the bake-off waypoint of the relationship journey. So that's when they finally decide, okay, I went and did price shopping, but who am I going to go with? is often less rigorous than the analytical journey because of the established relationship. Remember, it's a, I know this guy, or I trust this guy, or the, I, I got a relationship with this, with this gal. These buyers like people and want to trust them. So it's probably more about gut feeling compared to every other product specification. And this is the best point here. Buyers using the relationship journey tend to be less, now emphasis is less, price sensitive than those in the analytical journey, even though they consider competitors products. Salespeople have more influence in this journey since they can gently guide the prospect through the process. Okay, so bring it back. I talked about this referral. What's the other thing you hear me talk about all the time? You ha I say a couple things. I say you have to establish a relationship. And part of that is social selling, as an example. You, they want to know, they, have, they want to have seen your name. They, are, they want to be referred to you. So I can get a referral into account, or if I just see Daryl's name all the time, because I see his content on LinkedIn, then when I have a problem, Daryl's top of mind, I already trust him and go there. Two different ways of doing that. So that's what you want to do. That's the, the biggest thing I will say to you about that one. The other thing is we talk about beyond selling value. We talk about you sell value so you can control the agenda a little bit, right? So that's what you're doing here. Now, they're still going to do their own analysis, but that's where the pricing comes in. They believe you. And now all things equal, I'm going to go to what I know. It's, it's, it feels most comfortable. So relationship selling, the relationship journey, referrals, social selling, brand awareness. This is why you do those things. <sighs> Last journey. I feel like we've kind of given it away already because we use the word trust already. So over to you. That's okay. So, so we call this last one the trust journey and maybe we should call it extreme trust or something. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> but but let's go through the exact same story we just went through. Your car broke down. You have a friend. They said you got to go talk to John at the Lexus dealer. You go to talk to John at the Lexus dealer. He helps you understand what you need, what your issues are, how you're going to solve all these problems. You say, thank you, John. Where do I sign? And you never go look at a competitive alternative. This is by far the least price sensitive buyer we have. Now, I can imagine every salesperson out there that's listening right now saying, yeah, 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 that never happens to me. I guarantee you that you're wrong. I guarantee you that there are situations where buyers never looked at a competitive alternative. Typically, these are things like, did they buy from you in the past? And now they're just going to buy from you again without going out to shop around. Were they referred in? Is it an option to something that they already have as a platform? There are lots of places where people will buy from us without looking at competitive alternatives. And we need to be able to recognize this because when we recognize this, we know our buyers are not price sensitive. By the way, I still haven't given you the most important point. I'm going to wait until after I hear your comments and then I'll give you the last most important point of all of this. All right. So the beauty of the trust journey is where the other ones are basically three steps, right? We start in the upper left-hand quadrant and then we have to go to the right and down and we go to the bottom left and three steps, three touches. This one's two. This is you're never leaving that left column of will I. You're starting right from I've made a decision on my own and then I'm just buying from this person because, again, I trust them. Now, 
How do you get there? Because you're right, that rarely happens. There's a couple of different ways you can do that, folks. We've talked about it all here on the podcast before. I can point you in the right direction. One is when you're selling value, part of selling value is quantifying the pain they're in now. So deep discovery will really help you say, if you do it right and you go deep enough with your probing and your questions, you can physically start to say, these symptoms are causing you this much financial or other pain. You can quantify it. So then when you get to the price point, you can then do a comparison to say, it's costing you a million dollars a day. My solution costs you $100,000. On day one, you're already a 10X ROI and it just goes up from there. I really don't think price is the issue. It feels to me like time is your enemy. The sooner you make a decision, the sooner we can make this go away. So that's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it is handling the objection when they come back to you and they say, well, I really should go price shopping. All right, I should talk to your competition. The question then becomes, fair enough. And Benjamin Dennehy has done a really good job of this. You can see some of his content. He's been on the show several times. But I know when I talk to Ben, we have this conversation over and over again where he'll do the old, why? Which always throws him for a loop. What well, mean why? Why are you going to talk to the competition? Well, you get a better price. All right, so was, is there a price that you need to get? Because we already talked about the issue and what it's causing you, right? Well, no. Well, I mean, is there something I've said that scared you away? No. I mean, and you do agree it's urgent right now, right? Right. And you agree, and we've agreed that, you know, you've seen for yourself, I've shown you that my solution can solve the problem, right? Yeah. So I don't understand why. And now I'm making this sound way simpler than it is. Benjamin does a great job of doing this as do many other experts out there, but you see what you're doing is you're trying to understand the why they would even ever go away. So two different ways you can do that. But you, the whole point is you, the, what's key to both is truly quantifying the impact of a delayed decision and demonstrating the ROI of your decision. If you, you will know you've not done that when they try to negotiate hard with you on pricing. You can always just with a little bit of negotiation, but if they try to negotiate hard, hard with you, then you, you totally miss that step. And that's why this doesn't happen often because too many of you miss that step. That's the world according to Daryl, Mike. Mark, what did I, what do you think? Did I get it right? And what are you holding back on? I loved what you just said. And, and I think it was brilliant, especially the ROI piece. Here's the thing that's magical and what's so important about a trust journey versus a relationship journey versus a analytical journey. And that is whenever we find a client, a customer, whenever we're talking to somebody, we have to talk to them as though they're in a trust journey. And what does that mean? That means they're looking at what's the value of solving the problem. They're not looking at, am I buying from you or a competitor? Now, when, when they're thinking about the value of solving the problem, we're now thinking of what's the ROI of the solution, right? What's the value of having air to breathe? It's infinite. Right? That's where I want, to, I want people to get to. Then we want to know, eventually we want to know, are you talking to competition? But we want to talk as though there is no competition. They're the ones who have to bring it up. And the question that I love to use, which implies there is no competition, if you don't buy this, what are you going to do? And if they're going to buy- Page 91, folks. <laughs> Page 91, <laughs> if you don't buy this, what will, emphasis, italics, you do. Sorry, I just love it. And, and I just love the 
I love the inference that it says there is no competition. Yep. But if there is, and we know that they're going to go talk to them, they're going to say, oh, I'm going to go look at your competitors or I'll look at these three people. And, and now we know to shift our conversation. When we're in that will I conversation, when we're talking as though they're in a trust journey, the only thing we're talking about is the value of solving the problem. What problem do you have? How do we solve it? What's the value? The moment I know that they're moving into a which one step, so they're moving into that right-hand column, now I need to make sure I understand how am I differentiated from my competition? What's the value of that differentiation? What are the problems I can solve that my competitors can't solve? And that's where the real magic here happens. Mark talks a little bit. He talks about the whole how to sell into this journey, folks. A couple of other things I want to say, you know, specifically on the trust journey, because it's obviously that's 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 the golden goose. That's where you ideally want to end up. You're going to have no competition, you get the highest price point typically. He talks about there's three objectives you want to do in this part of the sale of a trust journey. You want to build rapport, which ironically goes back to the relationship side. We talked a bit about that. This is something that you've heard me, the next thing that you've heard me hammer you on, yet I see too many of you just do not get this. I love you, but you're leaving money on the table because you don't do it, which is demonstrate expertise about the buyer's business. I will bring you back to a survey we did when I was at VanillaSoft. We studied 2,000 executives and we asked them, what do you value most? That your sales rep knows the competition, that your sales rep knows the features, et cetera, et cetera. And one of them was that they know your business far and away. Statistically, the number one thing they want from you is that you know their business. All right. That way, that's how you build that trust and relationship. And then finally, the third way is explore how much value they'll receive from your solution, which is why I go back to the point about if you do proper discovery, you quantify it. And then you can actually go and convince them and get them to agree with you and buy in. And consequently, they will see that any kind of negotiation or looking at any other solution is both a lost opportunity and waste of time. And let's just move forward and with this now. Mark goes through the whole thing. What I liked about this book, Beyond Mark Being a Cool Cat, was this. Every single one of you reps are taught these amazing tactics. Like, you know that you should do social selling. You know you should go and get asked for a referral. You know you can do objection handling on why you're going to go look at the competition. You know that you need to go and quantify the impact of your sale on their business. Nothing I've told you here should be new to you if you're a practitioner of your craft in sales. Nothing we've talked about here is new to this podcast, episodes upon episodes about each of these topics individually. But what Mark has done is he said, those are tactics there's a reason why, because there's a journey and this is how people buy. And I bring it back full circle to his analogy of air. Do you value it? Yes. Do you want to pay money for this Reno air? No. All right. That's a journey. And that's why the book Selling Value is going to help you understand all of this. So then you can bring your tactics in that you've been working on and now it becomes this wonderful concert right? You're just using tactics left and right and center when it's right throughout the journey. So we'll stop there. I like his tagline. We're going to end it on how to win more deals at higher prices. I could say it another way, which is how to make a boatload more commission. So whatever you want, 
You know, would you make a small investment in a little book like this? Anthony Annarino said it best. And you probably saw, he, he, if you're a regular of the show, you heard him say it the other day. He goes, and if you haven't seen that episode, go see it. He said, Daryl, because Anthony is a voracious reader. And, he, and I asked him, why do you read so much? Not that you shouldn't. I just asked him why. And his comment was, Daryl, if I can go and get another expert and I can pay roughly, say, a penny a page or something to that effect and spend four to six hours and be brilliantly smarter afterwards and make more money consequently, why would I not do that? So again, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Are you going to invest in yourself? You've made the first investment. You know how? You subscribe to the podcast, but there's a lot of people out there who don't know about the inside, inside sales show. So my friends, you need to go spread the word, but it's not done because my good friend, Mark has a podcast too. It's called Impact Pricing. You can check it out on the Impact Pricing Podcast. Go look it up, or you can just go to impactpricing.com and you can see it right there under resources. So lots of things, lots of information. A lot of it's free. <sighs> Mark, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Is it LinkedIn? Is it somewhere else? I practically live on LinkedIn. So you'll find me if you can spell my last name, you'll find me. All right. And his last name, S-T-I-B-I-N-G. It's stiving. Just for the hint, it's not stiving. It's not steving. I know this because I asked. Stiving. So there we go. All right, folks. I had fun. We went a little long. I hope you don't mind. I hope you stayed for the whole show. Thank you for indulging us today. I had a lot of fun. And I mean it. If you get value from this show, others should know about it too. So share the news. Go give us a review. We'd be grateful. In the meantime, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, my colleagues in arms, go kick some ass today. Go sell stuff. Explore the journeys. Sell value. My name's Daryl. That's Mark. I'll be back next week, same time, same place. I'll see you then. Bye-bye.